It's time for episode 297 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 5th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that will sell you another half an hour for $1,000. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am joined this week, very specially across the table from me, by Clockwise's own permanent villain, Jason Snow. <laughs> Hi, Jason. <laughs> I, have, I have set the clock to an incorrect time. No, this is madness. Madness, you I tell you. You were watching the clock, Dan. I, I told you to keep watching I it. took my eyes off of it, and this is what happens. We are joined, as we always are in the show, by two fantastic guests. To my left this week, it is the co-founder of Relay FM and the co-host of many fine shows, including Upgrade and Analog. No, Bonanza. Bonanza. (laughs) So many good shows. It's Mike Hurley. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me back. There was a time when I was the most frequent guest. That time has since passed. I know. You're very busy. I like that we can get you in person. Yeah. Well, you pinned me down. I did. I tied you to a chair. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You gave him like a little, uh, like a wet willy and everything. You're like a bully. (laughs) Don't make it weird. So mean. Don't make it weird. So mean. To my left is the co-host of the Roboism podcast right here on Relay FM and also Dubai Friday. Do it it's by Alex Friday. Cox. Yep. Do, it Do it by Friday. Friday. It's a weekly challenge podcast, uh, sort of like Clockwise, except <laughs> uh, Clockwise is more orderly. Hello. Clockwise is more challenging than Dubai Friday. I think this is literally the exact opposite of Dubai Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's a format. Yeah, well, uh, fair, fair, fair. That's right. There is a format. It is where we talk about four tech topics. I'm going to kick things off, obviously. This week was Apple's Worldwide Developer conference and they announced many many things chief among which was ios 13 i want to know what your favorite feature of ios 13 is mike hurley mouse support mouse support so it is a part is a new accessibility setting um i'm sure we're all familiar with the assistive touch the little circle so you remember when we used to break our home buttons and you oh, had yeah. to have the little circle mm-hmm. this has now been mouse support has now been added into this so you can attach a mouse or a trackpad by bluetooth or wired and you are able to now move around the assistive touch circle as if it is a finger and you can click tap you can also reprogram mouse buttons to perform different actions this is going to be an absolutely huge deal for me i suffer quite badly with some rsi stuff and i've been using my ipad in a stand recently so it's at my eye height but then i'm still reaching out to touch it all the time so now being able to sit down and using a mouse with my favorite operating system which is ios it's going to make a huge change to my life and i'm so happy they've added it I don't know. Um, I'm going to define this broadly and say that the changes to the files app are my favorite feature because I've been complaining. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do with my time now. <laughs> but honestly, I, I've been complaining about the inability to connect to local file servers or to read the contents of like a USB keychain drive for years now because those are uh, those are scenarios that go against Apple's vision of the future of how things get done, but they are very much the present of how things get done. Um, and I think I just got the chime for the correct answer. So that was great. <laughs> 10 points, Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I, I think that's huge to be able to. Um, fact is, sometimes you're somewhere, somebody hands you a thumb drive. This happened to me today. They're like, here are the files. It's on a thumb drive. It's like, oh, I can plug those into an iOS device now. 
and see them and copy them and yeah. move them and all and copy files to them and that's uh, it's it's way past time but i'm glad it's finally here i think one thing just real quick about the files app the files app currently has a lot of features they don't all work very well so we're adding <laughs> more features you might still get to complain about how they don't work okay, i we'll have see. new things to say yeah, yeah. new like, complaints it's like, better than the same good. old complaints I have to say, this is kind of another niche thing, and I forget what it's called specifically, but I like to call it the side little swipey swipe thing. Mm -hmm. And That is the actual name, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, Great marketing team. (laughs) Um, But being able to, again, have a small keyboard on the touchscreen of the iPad and being able to just swipe while you're holding it in either portrait mode or landscape mode right it, it's just anywhere mm-hmm. um that is all it's it's also like an rsi issue for for me i've always used third-party keyboards for the swiping it mm-hmm. just is less strain so it's one of those little things i'm excited to use every day i've got a couple really small ones that are just things i literally wrote like wish list items about that came true so there are now multicolored flags in mail which i was super excited oh. about and they sync over icloud because right mm-hmm. now you've been able to do multicolored flags in mail on the mac and then they all just show up the same color. And I use different color code things for like different to-do lists. Uh, and there's it's also- an interesting system you got there, Dan. I think we need to have a t- conversation yeah, about no, this. <laughs> Please invite me on your show where we talk about it. Uh, also, f- uh, folders in Notes, you can now do subfolders on iOS, which again, you could do on the Mac, but you could not do on iOS. Though they would sync over, which was super weird. Uh, but, <laughs> but the biggest one just say, uh, and this is sort of an iOS 13 and other platforms, is the sign in with Apple feature, which I think is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that is going to be a really big difference. I'm, I'm interested to see how many developers embrace it um, and of course, if you use other third-party sign-ons, you have to. You must <laughs> embrace it. Um, but the disposable email thing in particular, I think, is brilliant. It is a great idea. Uh, it is saves so much trouble. It, it kind of reminds me of, and this was a much inferior uh, thing for that they use sort of the same system was the app-specific pa- passwords, where you could revoke a password oh, for an system, app. Though. Terrible system, yeah. but it works mm-hmm. much better mm-hmm. for emails, where it's like now you know who's spamming you, and you can just revoke that email if it's a problem. So I think that's great. And there's a ton more. Obviously, we only scratched the surface. But let us move on to our second topic, which comes from Mike. So I think that there were a lot of surprises in the keynote on Monday. But I think the I think the biggest surprise is iPadOS. The, the, the idea that Apple is now deeming the operating system that goes onto the iPad as important enough that it gets its own designation and name and I wanted to get your reactions as to what you think this might mean for the future of iPad as a platform. Well, first off, I want to say that many of our choices in the previous round have just been invalidated because they were choices for <laughs> iPad OS and not iOS. It, well, so that's confusing. Well, it's all still iOS. Like, I think that's it's a Venn diagram. Yeah, it's like, like a Venn diagram. Even on kind of stage, they're like, well, I, iPad gets all of this, but also this. Also the other thing. It's like how tvOS gets some stuff that... that yeah, I'm... I'm excited about it because it allows, it's two things. One is it allows uh, the iPad to be the iPad. And I think having some of the pressure off of having to have, have everything be parallel, like if there are features that Apple wants to put on the iPad that would conflict with the way it's done on the iPhone, Apple can now just say, that's fine. That's an iPad OS feature. And I do believe there are some gestures and things that, um, that are necessary on the iPhone that are you know could be better on the iPad, but I think they want to not break symmetry, and they're going to be able to break some of that a little bit. I think that's really good. It is a marketing thing on one level, but I think it's a good marketing thing, and that's the other thing that makes me excited about this is, as a marketing thing, it's them saying, here is another one of our key platforms. It's the iPad. It's not hiding behind the iPhone. It's not swamped 
by the popularity of the iPhone. It also means that next year at WWDC, if they do what they did last year, which is have almost no new iPad features, they're going to have to own up to it because people are going to say, what about iPad OS? And if Mm -hmm. there's just the sound of chirping crickets, (laughs) that's not so good. No, no. And I mean, kind of to piggyback off that, the thing that excited me most during the keynote was they didn't really focus on um, discoverability within iPadOS. It was just like, yep, we are going to have these gestures. And Craig Federici said this really well, I think, last night um, at the John Gruber's The Talk Show live show um, about like some people use Command-C and some people will always go to file, copy, paste. And it's just that is how it is. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, some people use right clicks on their mice too, mm-hmm. right? Like so many of us, I, I definitely look at people who don't ever use contextual menus. And of course the Mac didn't even have contextual menus for a long time or two button mice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so people got by just fine and it's okay if features are less discoverable. I think it's uh, to, again, I think Jason said this well, it allows the iPad to become its own thing. It gives Apple a lot of leeway being able to make more changes on the iPad without feeling like it needs to mimic the iPhone. And I think the iPad has done very well in the last, like financially in the last year or two. And it has, I think, justified them spending more time on it and splitting it out and really, you know, like, again, like Craig Federighi said last night, the talk show, the, or maybe it was Jaws, I don't remember. The, the big fear was that it'd be just seen as a giant iPod touch. And that was what they wanted to get away from. So having it be its own thing lets them really clearly differentiate. This is a separate product in our lineup, not just the same thing. But I do have one question, which is, there is no version number for iPad OS. So I'm wondering if next year's oh. iPad OS 2. I have heard that they are calling it iPad OS 13. See, I have hmm. too, but it's not on the site no, anywhere. Because I think it doesn't make sense. It to show doesn't it. make sense yeah, at all. They don't show this for TV OS either. But right. like, they did technically, the same thing. it's iPad OS 13. Right, right. So I'll be curious to see next year if they're like, this is iPad OS 14, which makes sense. But yeah, this yeah, year would be weird. They will do that. <laughs> or maybe they will just. I think Apple would love to drop the numbers, ideally. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. just like, here's the new version of iPadOS. And yeah, just but you need, a way, so you need at least beneath the surface, you need to be able to refer to it somehow. <laughs> yeah, I think we can. I think like if, I think, yeah, it's, it's I was thinking, but for me, it's just the symbolism of doing it. That's the most important thing. As somebody who believes in the iPad so strongly, um, the fact that it was a platform, which is incredibly important, that there are so many millions of these devices in active use, but it was still just using the iPhone's operating system from a marketing perspective, kind of sucked. But now it has its own place at the table, which I think is amazing. It will have its own time on the slides when they show off their now five platforms. I think it's awesome. All right, that is two topics down, two topics to go, which of course means it is halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by our very good friends at Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud, and you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Linode serves their customers with the help of 10 data centers across the globe, and they're about to add more. Mumbai, India, and Toronto, Canada will both have data centers before 2020. Linode features native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors, meaning you're able to serve your customers even faster than before. And so you don't have to stress about overspending. Linode has designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly billing with the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services such as backups and node balancers. So Linode has pricing options suit absolutely everyone. Their plans started at a gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Linode has a special offer for you as a listener of this very show. You can go to linode.com slash clockwise and use promo code clockwise2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan on that one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four 
three months, and with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have absolutely nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise and promo code clockwise2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Jason, halftime is over. What have you got for us? All right. The uh, thing formerly known as Marzipan, now known as Project Catalyst or iPad apps on Mac, is here after a year of sneak peek wondering about what it would be like. And the answer from Apple is it's a three-step process for iOS developers to get their iPad apps to come to the Mac. Step one is to check a box. Step two is to make a good iPad app, which really should have been step one, quite frankly. And step three is then to do finishing touches that make it a better Mac app. Now that we've seen the details and maybe even heard from people we know who write software on iOS and might want to come to the Mac, I'm just, I want to do a little formerly Marzipan and now Catalyst check-in about how we're all feeling about this idea that an influx of iPad apps is headed for Mac OS this fall. Alex? I mean, I guess it's unfair to name specific, let's say, podcast apps that we're really excited <laughs> to see on on the Mac. But oh, it's good. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Yeah, it's right there. Right there. Apple right Podcasts. There. Steve Wilson, great guy. Um, but I do think there is almost a world when I might go back to Mac OS as my main machine, um, just because I have to do so much video and uh, audio production. But my favorite software by far is on the iPad. There's way more innovation and um, that might be the wrong word. There's way more imagination, I think, and it's just more enjoyable. But I, so I want kind of the fun to come to Mac OS. I'm excited by this, especially because from everyone I've heard who's seen the three uh, formerly iTunes apps, music, TV, and podcast. Podcast is a catalyst app. The other two are not. But from what I've heard, they're virtually indistinguishable, Yes, which shows you that it's not – everyone was very scared after we saw the sort of proof of concept ones last year because it did feel like, let's just pick up an iPad app and plop it on Mac OS. We don't care that the date picker is like a spinning wheel <laughs> thing. That's fine. <laughs> and I think everybody assumed that in the meantime, like, oh, that was static. Like, nothing was changing. And it's like, well, of course they're working on ways to make these things act like they don't want that any more than the users want that. They want, they want apps that feel like native Mac apps. And I think that's what they're going to get. Um, it depends, I think what remains to be seen is how much effort it's going to take to do those finishing touches, right? Is it going to mean that it doesn't simplify development as much? Because there are people who, you know, developers especially don't love the idea it's like of selling it as just check a box and now you've got a Mac app, right? There's a lot of work to be done after that point. Uh, but I think what the, the proof is, is that the tools are there and that if people are committed and really want to move their stuff to the Mac app, it's, it's an easy process that is laid out for them. Uh, but it's still going to take some work. I think I feel pretty similar to Alex. I'm excited about the idea of my favorite software being available on all of the platforms that I use. Like, there are a lot of wonderful iOS apps that I use every single day that do not have Mac equivalents or the equivalents that are on the Mac aren't as good. And being able to have access to those, I think, is going to make it even more easily for me to be able to switch between platforms. Like, for example, Logic. I know I can do a thousand tracks now if I buy a Mac Pro, but <laughs> kind of don't need that. And there are some great tools like Ferrite Recording Studio, which Jason's a big fan of on iOS. If if the developer Wujijus can put that with Catalyst on the Mac, that could be a big change to my workflow. You know, and then I would be able to be more flexible in one of the things that's really important to me, which is editing shows. So 
I'm excited for what the future could hold and what Catalyst could bring. Yeah, I'm also excited uh, to flip this a little bit uh, for the iPad because yes. I do think that that part of this process is, like I said, it should probably have been step one. But the the implication here Apple is making is you need to make good iPad apps. You need yeah. to take that, think about larger screen sizes and keyboards, and those will all pay off. And I wrote a piece on Macworld this week, basically that, hey, you know, there's friction in the user community sometimes between iPad users and kind of old school Mac users who are kind of grumpy that people like to use iPads. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Uh, we're all in this together now. We're using the same software now, <laughs> the baby. Future <laughs> of the, the future success of the iPad and the iMac, or, or the iPad and the Mac are linked now. Yeah. They, are, they are more alike than the iPad and the iPhone are at this point, I feel. Yep. So yeah. uh, wow. I think I think it, it really is. I think I just saw Alex's head explode. So, very so if you can imagine Whoa. one of those things where they like they they uh, handcuff two prisoners together <laughs> and then they escape out into yes, the it's, desert. It's, it's the movie Fled. That's fine. That, that is, uh, went from iOS. That's, that's Mac. Mac OS and, and iPad OS now. Uh, okay, great. Great answers. Uh, let's move on to our fourth question, Alex. All right. I am curious... What you are excited about in terms of the Pro hardware that was announced yesterday? Um, the Mac Pro is a beautiful machine that I have absolutely no use for ever in my life and cannot afford. But it is it is amazing. And I think what uh, makes me really interested in it is we've spent a long time. I mean, we've known that they've been working on Mac Pro for a couple of years. There's been a long time of people complaining. They feel like Apple's abandoned the Mac. They feel like pro users aren't respected. And I think Apple answered that question very clearly by rolling out this computer. Uh, and I also just to dip back L- in. Literally. Rolling, rolling it out yeah. on the wheels. <laughs> no one knows how much the wheels cost, but <laughs> they're not, if you have to ask. Um, I, I wanted to tie that back into something that we said just a second ago about the uh, the sort of friction between iPad and Mac users. Um, I do like the idea that there were Mac users deriding, you can't do real work on an iPad, to which I would throw, well, maybe you can't do a real work on anything less than a Mac Pro if you think that your real work needs to be done on a Mac. Uh, you know, think again, because these machines are designed for crazy work. And, and the thing that was cool to see uh, talking to some of the, uh, the professional creatives that they Apple sort of had there to demo the Mac Pro was... The thing I kept hearing over and over again was this used to take us multiple computers. Mm-hmm. We can do it all in one computer now. And not only that, but we can do stuff that we couldn't do on those four computers. So as an example, running that ProRes raw unconverted video through their entire pipeline. That's a huge difference. That is a major change and a time saver for a lot of these people doing this incredibly heavy lifting work. And I get that it's expensive and it's, you know what? I think the short answer is it's not for everyone. It's not the same Power Mac or Mac Pro that we had five to ten years ago it is a machine that is really truly designed for work and not everyone's gonna have use for that but i can still kind of look at it longingly and be like ah maybe i could maybe i could just do something i could write my words on that (laughs) on that really expensive those words would be so so fast fast, Mm. so fast fast my fingers i think i have a concern uh about the idea of this machine isn't for everyone and that's why it's starting at six thousand dollars but if anybody really wants it it will probably cost them ten thousand dollars how long is this machine going to last if they don't sell that many of them? Like, that's my concern. Are they potentially making it so powerful, so expensive, that no one's going to buy them? I, I think that they are, though, because it's not a machine for consumers. It's a machine that companies are going to buy. And they're I, mean, gonna... I would hope so. Right. But, like, the, yeah. the iMac Pro is really powerful. The Mac Mini is really powerful. Like, I was talking to a, a YouTuber friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And, like, in theory, this machine is made for video. 
And he was like, well, I just use a Mac Mini because it's more than enough. Right. And I think it's not for, it's not even for those people. I think it is literally for people in like Hollywood production houses and people but, doing like but, high end. But then it's like, do they, does Apple really need, do they need to make those machines? Yes. I, I, this I is don't know. Quite, yes. Otherwise someone else will. And then we don't want to use those computers. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it is a uh, an interesting thing. Apple has been pushing the high end of the Mac Pro up for years, and we mm-hmm. get, it got kind of lo- got lost in the debacle of the trash can Mac Pro. But like, there was a time when the Power Mac was the default system for yeah. anybody who was serious, and the iMac was kind of a toy. Um, but that's not the case anymore. And the truth is, um, I think that one of the interesting things to come out this week is is the difference between I need and I want, because I'm hearing a lot of people tell me on Twitter and elsewhere, I need. And then they say, I need a separate monitor. I need expandability. I need cards, card slots, but they don't need this Mac Pro. I think the problem there is that it's not really I need, it's I want. Because the iMac, mm-hmm. and iMac, not even the iMac Pro, the iMac is powerful enough yeah. to serve most professional needs. And the Mac Mini, likewise. Like, you have to be a very, very high-end professional. This is a product for that market. And, and Apple has been pushing that way. For a long time and there are a lot of people who don't like the idea that apple makes a product that's not for them there are also a lot of people who are hobbyists and enthusiasts and would love to have a computer like this because they can they can fuss Tinker, over what yeah. monitor they're going to use by the way the answer is if you don't want to buy a six thousand dollar monitor you should buy an imac because you're not going to find a better monitor than that from a third party <laughs> right. attached to your mm-hmm. modular device so it's a fascinating kind of little bit of psychology going on here. I wish Apple would address that, you know, start it a little bit lower. But the fact is to reach the heights that they want, they have to start with a model that costs like this. And, that, and the, the monitor mm-hmm. the same way. That, that is essentially a monitor made for people who currently buy $40,000 yeah. monitors, not for people who are buying $1,000 monitors. Yeah. I did not think I would be so excited about the Mac Pro or or the display because I thought this isn't going to be for me. But weirdly, it is for me because those those teams that had to use multiple computers, now it's it's just one. Like I could have a, a very large amount of people on a film set that's an independent place. Like sure, Star Wars is going to be made on these films. But oh man, renting those reference monitors it's like not a lot of people truly buy them at forty thousand dollars but it's a thousand dollars to rent it for like a week Hmm. and it's it yeah it it, yeah yeah um and having and then you need to buy insurance for them and like now it's like oh i can buy this thing um and i probably will not personally have a a monitor (laughs) but i I mean there may be one at my disposal (laughs) uh, but but i may be but but seriously like we will be able to use this like not not just the filmmakers at my company but the designers and we we have had this struggle because some of our laptops have true tone some some don't and you know those LG monitors are garbage. So mm. it, the technology that has been available to you know Lucasfilm and Disney for uh, forever basically is viable for indie filmmakers. And I think it's um, computers are really the only time I think the trickle down effect works. <laughs> like uh, y- you know um, now there are amazing uh, cameras in our phones, and now there is sure it is not quite a consumer level product. But that eventually is going to trickle down to a point where a YouTube, YouTuber, sorry, YouTubers will use it. I don't think we're that far off, especially with the 8K stuff. We're getting there to consumer cameras really quickly. 
interesting point too. Somebody pointed out there is no, obviously, no FaceTime front-facing camera in that display because the houses that have it don't want that in there. Yeah. Exactly, and Logitech <laughs> is, very smart. is going to make one that's yep. matched to it yep. that they're going to sell for an additional who knows how much. That's a 4K webcam that'll sit on top. 4K webcam? Yeah, just mm-hmm. what you want is a 4K webcam. I really want to see those pores. I think I think if you look at the co- that six thousand dollar monitor that they're comparing it to. Um, it looks like garbage compared to the Apple monitor, Does and that's that really have a FaceTime camera. That, in it? That's really <laughs> why. Uh, that's what this product is. Is yeah. it's like it's a forty thousand dollar monitor for six thousand dollars, and that's what it is. Indeed. All right, we have reached the end of our four topics, but we have just enough time for a bonus topic. We have all traveled differing amounts to get here, but mm-hmm. I am curious to know: in your plane flying habits, are you a window or an aisle person, Mike? I like to sit near the window. But I sit on the aisle because I don't want to have to ask anyone to get up if I need to use the bathroom because I'm too embarrassed to ask people or wake them up or climb over them. Mm -hmm. Very polite. Jason? I have lots of positive things to say about the aisle, and Mike has pretty much elaborated why the aisle is a great place to be. But that said, my shoulders are broad enough that if I sit on the aisle, as I did on a recent flight... Mm Every single cart that comes down the aisle to serve people smashes into my shoulder. Had it in the knee a few times. And that's that's why I sit in the window seat. (laughs) That's why I sit in In the the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't give that as an option. I figured no one was like, I love sitting in the middle. Although how I got here this week is I sat in the driver's side of the car. Fair. Fair. (laughs) You're not qualified for that. Alex, what about you? I enjoy, on the way to my destination, sitting in the aisle. So I do not... A similar thing. I in the aisle, you just like I sit in. Like, <laughs> the carts will definitely step over me. Step over me. I want to see the flight attendants lift the cart over my head just to test their strength. Um, but if I am on the way to a place like a work conference, I want to be on the plane working, and I know that that window will be so seductive, and I'm just gonna stare out mm-hmm. it the whole time. However, on my way home, um, I try to sleep and like recharge, so I will try the window seat and um, just let my brain kind of turn to mush. <laughs> that sounds very fun. Uh, <laughs> I I am an aisle person for two reasons. Predominantly, one, I have long legs, and so I like to be able to put them in the aisle sometimes and stretch out a little bit, though they sometimes then get run over by carts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, like Mike, I, I just... I like to have the freedom to get up whenever I want to because I do like yeah. to stretch my legs too. And I, I don't like climbing over people. If people fall asleep or whatever, if then I have to nudge them and wake them up. or like just, always so They always fun. wake up awkwardly when you're like over them. It's like, oh, hi. It's so much fun to watch the climbing occur. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, like, but I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> you're just like face to face. Hi, good morning. <laughs> I tell myself that too. And then a cart smashes into me and I vow never to do it again for another five years. All right, that wraps up our show. All we have left to do is thank our fantastic guest this week. Mike Hurley, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure. And Alex Cox, thank you so much. I love doing this. Thank you. And Jason, thank you for being the villain that we deserve. (laughs) That's about right. (laughs) Uh, Until next time, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Or a villain will get it. (laughs) 